Um, I have a, I have, I, there's a suggestion that is kind of resonating in my heart, has been for a while. By the way, good morning. Did I say good morning? That the gospel is far greater than what we understand it to be. That simple premise, and this is not out of frustration in a, in a, in a negative way, but it's been a trigger to pursue deeper and further. Um, in the and, and you know I was wondering why now why why in July is kind of this all coming this is when most people are traveling we got a bunch of people traveling is Chris, uh, Christmas <laughs> summer vacation time and people kind of check out and whatnot and I don't know but it just happened now that this is the time this is the place to hear and to understand what the Spirit of God is saying. Family, this will change your life. And I'm not just saying that because I want to get you riled up. I think in our notion of evangelism, we get the wrong question. Uh, we have based most of our quote-unquote un, unreached uh, or, or outreach in terms of you know bringing in the harvest with this question or variations of this question, which is, what happens to you when you die, right? Do you go there or you go here or whatnot? I think that's the wrong question. I think the question is, what happens to you when you start living? Because why have we made the center of the message the very essence of a law that we're no longer under? We're no longer under the law of sin and death. We're under the law of what? Life in Christ Jesus. So why have we actually released the framework of the good news on the basis or the very centrality of where we came out of, not what we have been brought into? I believe you're going to start to learn how to live. Stop trying to figure out how to die. When he died, you died with him. You're done. In fact, you didn't die with him. He died as you. He did not die for you. That is not in the scriptures. What is in the scriptures is that he died as you. He was, are you getting me on? He was raised as you. He didn't do it and then hand it to us. God did not make Adam and then think, oh, I want to give him dominion. He made Adam to have dominion. You were architected. You guys are sitting in the wrong seat. You should be over there. <laughs> this is very confusing. <laughs> like Don and Angie are over here. Um, this is awesome. But, but you were created in a certain structure. In that structure, you're to function. That's your identity. Death was interfering with your identity. So he took care of it. The problem we have right now is that in the context, David, of the eighth day or the rest of God, we're going to dive into some of this stuff, is we bring old thinking into new life. We bring new wine into old wineskins. So we have to reinterpret the precepts of the gospel to actually relieve the tension in our mind that you have two things that are, that are against each other, living right next to each other. Rather than evicting one for the right place of another, we allow them to coexist and we let our reasoning let them live together. Does that make sense? We're not going to let them live together anymore. 
death has no place in your life, nor any permutation or derivative of death, which is sickness, weakness, all the things that come out of a process of decay. Let's go back. If you have your Bibles, I just want to start off in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. With this scripture, and then and then we're just going to d- d- uh, dive into this. I got a f- flip chart here. We got we got papers on the walls, and for those of you who are visiting, this is not what we typically do. So, but it's going to be good because there's some things I want you to see. In in First Corinthians <clears throat> chapter two, verse fourteen, it says this: "But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God." The carnal man, the man who has an awareness of simply being limited in the realm of the natural. You cannot understand the things of God. You cannot reason. I've said this before. You have people who, who, who teach this book, who have memorized sections of this book, who are considered to be experts, but they have no spiritual understanding. They simply understand the text of a book. God's never told you. I will tell you this, and if you're mature, you'll understand, and if not, you'll be offended. There were times when the Lord said, stop reading. Now, now you've got to understand and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in the journey that you're in. Right now. And there, there are times this is just dive in. You know, we think we're to just, if you gorge yourself on food, it will, the thing that was designed to help you will actually hurt you. Because you need a time and maybe a season to digest. That's when you open up your button, you sit on the couch, and you spiritually digest. Now, that was an image I didn't intend, but it came out. It's there. It's yours. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And, and a lot of the things that I felt the Spirit of God tell me this, show me, impress. He says, the things that I'm going to show you, uh, people are going to think you're crazy. People are going to think you're foolish. People are going to think you're a heretic. People I mean, just... Add to that, he says, I want you to stay focused on what I'm telling you, not what you're seeing. So I, you know as well as I know, about six months ago, maybe eight months, David, I was, we were sharing this before service started. <clears throat> the Lord told me to just start talking about how death to God, God considers death an enemy. First Corinthians chapter 15. It is an enemy, yet we have made it a friend. We have made it a friend. He says, I want you to talk about it. I don't want you to understand it. I just want you to talk about it. So I would talk about it and then I would get questions and I'd be like, I don't know. I was told to just start a conversation. This is months ago. He says, there will be a time I'll give you understanding. That time is now. So if you have the mind of the spirit which you have what i am saying to you is spirit not flesh what has happened in 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 the modern day church and i don't want to stay on this soapbox too long so just if i do kick me off is that we have exhausted what we believe the gospel is about so we have to make stuff up and we make stuff up in the realm of self development or self improvement and stuff and we bring it in and it looks like it's godly advice, and it's not. It's just stuff. People don't know what to say. They, so they, they just bring up. Why? Because they got, they got churches to pay for and people to, to give words to. And when that is exhausted, we have to use entertainment. And, and, and that's, it's, uh, the gospel itself 
and the discovery of its perimeters are vast. We do not need to rely on human intellect or human invention to come up with topics to, to supersede the... Ah, come on. All right, I'm off that. I'm off that. Let me finish this scripture. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolish, foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are what? They are spiritually discerned. I am imploring and begging you right now to put aside the distractions of your life. And I know there are many. You mentioned, David, you've been dealing with certain stuff and how God was dealing with you. Put aside the best. I'm asking you to put them aside for an hour. You can pick them up when you leave and do with what you want with them. But I want to speak to your spirit, man, this morning. And your flesh will bring up the issues of your life, whether they are physical, whether they have to do with sickness, relationship issues, uh, work issues, whatever they are. Those, that is just noise. It's white noise. And it interferes with the flow of life. Where we're going. I'm going to need, I should say it this way, the Spirit of God is going to need your full attention. So let's do that. Right? I, I promise you, you'll be blessed. Last week, we started out on this segment of this journey. This last week, is in, if, you, if you've not listened to last week, please go back and do that. Uh, it's on our website. It's on a bunch of places, Facebook and on our website, for those of you who, who aren't familiar, WOCIC.org or com, go listen to last week. Here is, here's what we pulled out of last week. The major theme, a major theme, I would say the major theme, but others might, might argue otherwise, of Jesus' earthly ministry is that he announced something over and over and over again that we seem to bypass and we just say, well, he said that because he was Jesus, which is this. I, Jesus saying this, I and the Father are what? One. He said in other places, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only, in another place, I only say what I see the Father or hear the Father saying. He's bringing out something that was alien to the people he was speaking to. Possibly even alien to the people who he's speaking to today. But the notion that he was conveying was that, that, that he and the Father are one. If you've seen me, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen whom? Come on now. So we, he, he is not on an, on an ambassadorship. He's not representing God. But Jesus is an, individu- he's an individualization of the Father in the earth. It's called Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is, it is an identity that He and the Father are one. Alright? And that's awesome. And that reality of being one with the Father is called glory. The glory of God is to be in the same awareness, what we call the consciousness of the Father. Jesus is operating in the consciousness of the Father. He is not limiting Himself to time and space and the realm of the natural seen things. And we covered all this last week. This is, I don't want to rehash a lot of it because there's a lot of material I want to go through today. 
But we know that you and I, that man was created by God in his likeness, in his image. The same substance of his makeup is your makeup. You are clearly body, you are clearly soul, but you are spirit. Your natural presentation in this realm is that you are spirit slowed down to visibility. I'm just going to let this stuff settle in. Now, no one has seen the Father, according to John chapter 1, except the Son at that point when that was written. Because He was the only begotten Son, right? So the only begotten Son saw the Father. Why? Because He had the same awareness, consciousness of the Father. They were one. So, the only begotten Son, oh, this is exciting, the only begotten Son then traveled to another statement where it says that He is the firstborn among many brethren. So, He went from being the only Son to now the prodigy of many sons and daughters. Right? So, if at the time He was the only Son and the only one who saw the Father, if we're of that same mindset, then you and I ought to see the Father. That's called the glory. John 17. Father, as I am in you, come on, and you are in me, let them be in us. The glory that you gave me, I give them. And then we develop the whole notion of the kingdom of God. And we're just going to put flip chart papers all over this church. Well, as many as we have. And here's the thing. We're going to define things. And then we're going to reassemble the definitions. And what will emerge is going to be a deep understanding of the gospel. And you, I guarantee this, you will appreciate the goodness of the good news like you have never appreciated before. To wrap up last week, the notion of the oneness, the one consciousness, the one awareness of the Father... And by the way, we're coming to a definition of salvation that will blow your mind. We'll let that one come when we get there. Is that the kingdom of God. Let me say it this way. Jesus says the kingdom of God does not come by observation or the sensory realm. Right? And and he says this, if they say the kingdom is here, or they say the kingdom is there, don't believe them. What he said is that the kingdom cannot be related to, understood through the natural means of sensory interpretation. Then he goes on and he says, this is in Matthew, he says the kingdom of God, Matthew, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. So the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is inside of you, not outside of you. That ought to radically just change so much of your theology. Just that statement. Jesus said it is inside of you. What is the kingdom of God? It is the realm of awareness of our oneness with the Father. That is the kingdom. So Matthew 6, seek first. Your awareness 
or the realm of awareness of your oneness with the Father and all the things in the natural realm will actually be dealt with because your consciousness, your awareness has been reconciled to where it ought to have been from the very beginning of creation. Oh, this is good news. With our definitions. With our de- I'm sorry, Hi, David. <laughs> Sophia, I can see you guys. <laughs> you need to understand what we're going to do is that you can take the definition and replace the definition with the term. And when you read those terms, put the definition in there. So when the scripture says that he delivered us out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, you can read it as he delivered us out of darkness into the awareness of our oneness with the father. I'm going to go to the end and I'm going to back up. Okay, where we're at, the only way for you to develop and exercise and actually come to maturity, the only agent that can enable where we're going is the Holy Spirit. It's why he had to be released. You're going to come to a greater appreciation. We're going to have to redefine faith. We're going to have to redefine healing. We're going to look at all these things in the context and in the light of the, of the things that we're going to see definitions for. It's going to be awesome. But I want to go back to the beginning. Is that okay? I like the beginning. Because Isaiah says, in the beginning are the things told of the end. So go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at some of these things. And then I want to get to this notion of greater works. Is that okay? Can I, oh, here's the chart. I'm going to use the chart. You see my two trees? I came here yesterday just to draw those trees for you. I didn't want to draw them in real time because it took me three times to get them to look like trees. In John chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. While you're there or going there, a key um, insight, a key truth that is hidden in the book of Proverbs, and it's in Proverbs 23, verse 7, says this. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Now, I want to stretch you with that. Again, some of these scriptures we just read, we say, yes, I believe that, but we don't know what they're saying. What it is saying, Josh, that as you think, not think in here, but as you release what's in the core of your spirit, man, your reality is established. In the realm of time and space, reality or experience is defined by what things you did. Part of my life experience was... My wife and I driving from our home to this place because that happened in time and space. So in the natural realm, it is as a man does, so he is. But as in the spirit realm, it's as a man thinks, so he is. Ah, Dear Father, help us. Lord, I ask you to quicken our spirit. That your reality or your experience is not a function of activity of past things, but of what you believe. When you believe something, it becomes your experience. According to, right? I'm not stretching that. If I believe something that is not only my reality, it becomes the basis of how I experience the present and how I got there. 
So if Adam thought he was separated, the illusion of separation became his reality, but it wasn't God's. As a man thinks in his heart, Oh, dear God, you've been in prison too long. You think you're separated from God. And we're gonna go, we'll go into all that. But as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So why is it that God is after not the way you reason, but the way you believe? Because belief lives within the seat of the heart, not in the seat of the mind. Right? He's really after, he's really, oh, dear God. Genesis chapter 3. Oh, we've been here so many times, but let's come back here. Let's begin reading in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree... Now you understand, there are two trees, James. We all know in this house there were two trees. There were many trees in the garden, two that stand out. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Let me just make a note about the tree of life. Something I, I, I wanted to, I pursued, I, I, I looked into and it, and it was interesting what, it, what came out. That word life. <clears throat> Let me say this. The tree of life shows up in the very end of the book of Revelation. Right? You, you see this tree. You don't see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anymore. You do see the tree of life. You see it in Ezekiel's vision, and you see it in John's vision. And he calls it, in the Greek, the tree of Zoe. Not the tree of bios or physical life. So we know that this tree is not tree of physical animation. It's not you living and breathing in the animated form. It is living within the flow of the... uh, of the, of the essence of God. That's what this life is. Hmm. Your existence was a function of Zoe, not a directive of Zoe. We'll unpack all this. Just, just bear with me. So, I, hey, two trees. Let's go back to just two trees right now. I want to simplify this for you. And this is the beginning of the story. Prior to the two trees, we sometimes think Adam was like you and I, but he wasn't. He didn't think like you and I. His awareness or his consciousness wasn't as you, your consciousness or mine is in the old way. He was made in the image and in the likeness of God. Genesis 1.26, right? In the very essence of God, He makes man and He breathes His Ruach or His essence, His Spirit, through His nostrils. And what was literally the, the, the element of creation or the element of the earth became a living, speaking being. Psalm 8 describes that event because he talks about a man And he says this, the the psalmist says this, Who is man that you made him just a little lower than yourself? Elohim. Go read Psalm 8. And you crowned him or you covered him with glory and honor. 
which is identity. And what's glory is the essence of my oneness with God or the Father. That Adam was made just, he wasn't God. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm saying, he is darn close. Because the operative word there is he made him just a little lower. If we have time, I'm going to bring you to Hebrews where it says that not only did Jesus deal with Psalm 8, He is now above the angels or the Elohim and He is one with the Father. That Jesus reconciled this issue. But Adam was made a little lower. Is that okay? And and, where was I? Genesis chapter 3. So... When the woman saw, verse 6, that the tree was good for food, speaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it was pleasant to the what? To the eyes. And that it was desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were what? Oh, They weren't closed, they were opened. What happened at this point is that the life which is whom and from which they were created, that at this point their consciousness, I don't know if I'm spelling that right, was, let me just say it was a godly consciousness. Is that okay? Or God's consciousness. They were made just a little lower than Him. When their eyes... Could you see that? I know that's small, but you got what I'm saying. When their eyes were open, they moved into a sensory consciousness. That sensory consciousness developed into a sin consciousness. Are you seeing that? So Adam went from perceiving through the awareness of God to now observing based on eyes that were open, and he he moved into a realm, what is called pluralism or dualism, or, or, or the fact that you have everything divided by either good or evil. And good is the greater deception in the earth because it is of the same tree, but it pretends to be something of godly nature. So when they said, Jesus, you are good, he immediately says, no, you're, you're evaluating me from the wrong tree. He says it in a different way. He says, I come with an abundance of goodness. No, I come with an abundance of zoe. I came to bring life, not good. We have reduced the gospel of Christ in the earth to a moral story to make good people out of bad people. That is not why Jesus died. He did not come to make good from bad, but to make make alive that which was dead. Is this making sense? You had a godly consciousness or an awareness that became sensory. So now I perceive life by what I see, what I touch, what I feel, what I smell, and I always forget the fifth one. Hear, whatever. There's five senses, I got four of them. 
I'm on my way to being really spiritual when I forget the other four. But we deal with life based on this. Why? Because his eyes were what? Are you seeing? Are you seeing this? Jesus would say, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, oh, he leaves it up to you to be the recipient of whether this is true or not. All right? Adam falls out of this consciousness into a realm where now his senses are ruling him. So what are his feelings? Chapter six, I mean chapter three, verse eight. And they uh, let me go back to seven. Then the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked. Were they naked before? You see what the senses are doing now. The senses are now interpreting a different reality. Now they have shame and they have sorrow. And and it goes on and it says, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound. They heard. Are you hearing this? Are you seeing the senses kick in? They heard the sound. And we developed this weeks ago. That sound is the Ruach. That sound was what was inside of Adam when he was in a godly consciousness. The God consciousness has an internal sound. A sensory consciousness or a sin consciousness has an external sound. And we have so many in the church that are looking for manifestation. They're looking for glory. They go from this conference to that conference, from this healer to that healer, and they still have an outward consciousness of what Jesus said, I have put inside of you. This is in you. The kingdom is in you. And so you have a godly consciousness man moving over into this sensory realm and he's experiencing the law of what? Sin and death. Adam had no idea what death was. He never experienced it. He had no definition for it. But as a man believes in his heart, his reality and therefore his experience became death whether God ordained it or not. So he's living through senses and eventually through his sin consciousness. Hebrews 10 says, because there's no more sacrifices, we have all moved on and out of a consciousness of sin. If we're out of a consciousness of sin, folks, there's only one consciousness left. And that is this. Father, as he is in you and and you are in him, I am in you. Listen, I am, I'm going to use me, you can use yourself, I am an individualization of the Father as me. I am, if the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in me, quickening my mortality or moving me out of my sense of then I can only be in life. I'm going to show you some things here that's going to blow your mind, but I need to lay this out. This is the problem Jesus came to solve, by the way. This is it. The illusion of separation is just that. It was an illusion. 
It was a reality on behalf of man because he believed it so it became his reality. But as God, as far as God's concerned, nothing... Listen, here's the duplicity of what we announce to the world that we say doesn't know God. We tell them this, God loves you just the way you are. Unconditional love. And say this prayer, I'm going to give you all the conditions. This is what we tell them. We tell them this, that your sin separates you from God, but when you read what Paul writes, that God is love, right? And that the love of God, there is no escaping it. And even Psalmist says, even if I'm in the death of hell, or in the realm of death, I cannot escape your presence. We confuse the world with a message that is inconsistent. If God is love and you cannot escape the love of God because of its width, its breadth, its height, and its depth, no one can escape the love of God, then how in the world can you be separated from God? I'm not saying you're in relationship with Him. I'm saying that we make stuff up. We just make it up. There's nowhere in here that says you're separated from Him. It says that you were unrighteous at one time. Your sins were, you know, I get that, but it doesn't say you're separated. It just says you're in a bad place. You're over here. And by the way, just as my logic kick it in, how can you be separated and have a visitation from God? That, that just never made sense to me. All right, come back here. Who took my Bible? Listen, verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Listen, I want you to understand this conversation. Where are you? Does it sound like God's upset? Adam, where are you? Look, look. And he goes on and he says, Adam says, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. I want you to kick in. These are all the elements of the sensory realm. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We've been afraid because we've been naked and we've been hiding ourselves for thousands of years. We even hide ourselves in the church right now. We really do. We hide behind things that don't hold their weight in water when you test them. Because they make us, they're fig leaves. We are covered with fig leaves. It's no different than Lazarus covered in grave clothes. And Jesus did the hard part, which is bringing them to life. He says, but you need to take off the fig leaves. We're taking off fig leaves right now. In a good way. If you're visiting, just be patient. (laughs) He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because look what he says. And he said, who told you you were naked? Does God sound angry or perplexed by a man who has fallen from his consciousness that was one with him to another alien consciousness? And he's basically saying, Adam, how in the world are you thinking right now? Because this isn't how I created you. Is this making sense? Who told you you were naked? There's no record that Satan told them. We try to, we try to push everything off on Satan. We really do. He's just, he's, when everything bad's in our life, it's the devil after me, the Satan after me. Listen. Ah, never mind. Adam, you're thinking bad. Who told you you were naked? Clearly, I did not tell you. And if you were of my awareness, you would know that. Are you seeing this? I need to build this little by little because we're going to go somewhere. 
Because we get into the latter part of Genesis chapter 3 that I, I, I'm, I'm excited about. And he says, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And of course, that's what happened. All right. Now, it goes on and it gets to a part of chapter 3 that, to be quite honest with you, it sounds like or it sounded like to me, and I even may have even preached this and did it wrong, that because God was angry, he declared curses. Right. He he talks to Satan and then he talks to Eve. But here's where he talks to Adam in verse 17. Same chapter. Before we get there, let me do this. I want to use a different marker. This realm here. This God consciousness, this internal sound. is called the rest. I think I said this last week. I don't remember if I said it here. Or I was talking to someone. How many of you who are not a salesperson try to sell something? Maybe you were involved with a multi-level marketing. And how hard is that? It's, it's, it's horrible, right? It's just not in you. I'm just using that as an example because I was there, right? I was given assignments in my prior life, in my, in my job at, at, at J.P. Morgan just years ago. And I had to do... I had to write papers for political purposes to position one department against another because they're trying to get rid. I, it was, I, I, she would get so frustrated because I would get home and all I would do is complain. She finally got that Nike thing. She said, she did, what you said, just do it. Cause she you know, cause it was not in my makeup to do that. It is not in your makeup to be, to sell what you aren't selling or you don't have a skill or whatever to sell. And when you are like that, you are not in rest. Let's use that as a way to define rest, maybe, or allude to the definition of rest, is that rest is when everything in you by design is in alignment. When something is out of alignment, you are not in rest. Hebrews says this, strive to enter into rest. And we say, oh, rest is just, you know, having all your prayers answered. and everything. No, rest is coming into the kingdom. Rest is coming into an alignment where your awareness is the same as his awareness. And you live from that reality. That is rest. That is what Hebrews is talking about. That is what Jesus says. There's so much I want to convey to you. You don't have the low bearing capacity to hold it. But one day you will. That this is rest. If this is rest, then the Bible talks about this being darkness. Darkness is in the place. I don't know where I'm going and I need to use my senses to get there. Jesus or the Spirit of God translated you out of the dominion of darkness. Into the kingdom of His dear Son. You will move from this realm of consciousness into this in Christ. Does that make sense? You are no longer under the dominion of darkness. Therefore, when you exhibit the emotional characteristics of darkness in this realm, it's alien. It is unnatural in here to worry. 
It is unnatural here to have any form of fear. It is unnatural here to be subject to the power or any power that is not the power. I'm going to announce this now. I'm going to get to it next week or the week after. I already got titles called the disempowering of powers. There is only one power in the earth. There are no longer competing powers. Ephesians lays this out. Colossians lays this out. That all principalities, all powers, all, come on, rulers, are under His... There's only one power. And it is the power of life through Christ Jesus. If you believe that, if you can believe that, then death has no power. It only has power to the degree that we give it in our consciousness. There is and will be a people, Josh. I, there will be a people that will skip death. That is the natural progression of the gospel. And if that Enoch, come on, Enoch, and we covered this last week. Now you don't get it from Genesis, but you find in the book of Asher. Because in Genesis it says Enoch walked with God, but in the book of Asher, which is referenced in the scripture, so it's, it's legitimate, says that Enoch walked as God. He walked in the consciousness of God. And so he was not. It's not that he just, listen, his speed of his natural existence sped up. And he no longer was seen because flesh is spirit slowed down to visibility. When you walk, come on, when you walk with God, you are changing the very natural physics of the ah, Why is Jesus walking on water? Because He's one with the Father. Does this make sense? You are no longer of this tree. Now, I'm not saying Satan or the devil are not physical entities. I do believe they are. But they can only operate in the deception of keeping you here when you are not. He is therefore the accuser or the deceiver of those who are here. He wants you to think here. He don't care whether you're here. He just wants you to, as long as you think like this. So let's get to Genesis 3. You guys okay? What happened? Not going to happen. Come on. Listen, verse 17, then Adam, he, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Now, I can spend some time on that. You guys will have, and it's not what you think. I know. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting fire assaults from all the wives here. But obviously he's talking about how he came to his own deception. And I need to talk to you about the, the masculinity and the, and the female component of the spirit. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, again, it seems like God is vindictive right now. He's angry. Right? But we know from the beginning and we establish, I believe, the fact that not only is he angry, he's kind of like a little perplexed, although I think he's playing here a little bit because he knows what happened. That God is not assigning a curse out of his own resources. He is saying this. He's saying this, Adam, you were designed a little lower than Elohim. You were designed, even in Psalm 8, it says it, it clearly says it in Genesis, to have dominion. 
It is not something that God gave you after you were made. You were made for that. So when you have dominion, you will never feel like you're trying to sell something you don't believe in. That feeling is not there. In other words, your rest, your natural state of being is dominion. And dominion is to have influence over that which you have influence over. Adam, you were created that way in my image so that I can have a natural representation in the natural realm and you are an individualization of me. Therefore, it is my glory through you that will touch everything. Through you, Adam. When he ate of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of this tree, he moved from a mindset to a different mindset. We established that, right? In doing that, Adam became disabled. He literally incurred a disability. His disability is what? How he thinks. As a man thinks, so he is. If he's fearful, guess what? His reality is fear exists. If he's shameful in his reality, shame exists. That's his experience. Even though it's experience, it doesn't... It, It doesn't exist here. Adam, you were made to have dominion over creation, but because of your disability, I'm going to tell you the consequence of the fact that the one who had dominion is no longer there. Because of that, creation is going to suffer. Not because God wants it to suffer. Not because He's mandating it. It's simply because the one who is to take care of it is sick. Are you seeing this? So look at the curse. Cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat in it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. Let me pause here for a moment. I need some water. Here's water. No, this is for me. This is not for illustration purposes. (laughs) The first sign of creation now being affected by a steward who is no longer there is the presence of thorns. It is not an accident that when Jesus was crucified, you see thorns come back into the picture. And where are the thorns placed on Jesus? They are placed on His consciousness. They are placed on His mind. They didn't place it on His arm, His leg. There's a reason why the thorns were pressed into the mind. Because Jesus is on the cross as you, as Adam. He became sin. He took Adam. He took the sensory, the sensory consciousness. Then he became all this. And what did he do? He crucified himself on this tree. So he had to take the thorns of the effect of creation not having a steward. And he nailed it to the knowledge of good and evil. Everything and anything associated with thinking from a sensory realm is no longer within the law of life. Paul says it this way. We walk not by sight, but we walk by what? We have to look at faith completely differently. We've been trying to define faith here. And I will tell you this, probably the one thing that has created more Effort, labor, and work is faith in this mindset. We tell people they don't have enough faith. But they just need a little bit more faith. Or We have statements that just don't make sense. Why? Because faith lives here. 
You know what faith is? It is the suspension of time and space. God doesn't heal. He's not healing anymore. I, didn't, I shouldn't have said he doesn't heal. I said he's not healing anymore. I know this is going to offend all you. God doesn't heal anymore. Okay, I'm going to go on to the next verse. Nobody's asking why. God doesn't heal anymore. Every healing was established 2,000 years ago. By His stripes, you were healed. There's no more healing. All of what is happening in a manifested or manifestation is that faith suspends time and actually engages what happened on the cross now. That's what faith does. Faith isn't trying to drum up some kind of a, of, of a quirky statement. Faith actually engages a work outside of time and space. So God is no longer healing. He's already healed. In fact, it goes from the foundation of the world, all this stuff. What in it is finished is not finished for you. My goodness, it is finished. My faith operates in the tree of life. And by faith, I appropriate everything that has already been done. I am resting. Ah. Oh. What are the greater works? Jesus said, greater works shall you do. What did He do? He healed the blind. He healed the sick. He healed the lame. And He did what? He raised dead people. You tell me, Josh, what is greater than raising dead people? My question too, what is greater than raising dead people is bringing them to an awareness of who they are so they're no longer subject by any of that stuff. And if they're not subject to any of that stuff, death has no sting. Why do we always quote that at funerals? Death has no sting is not a funeral. Oh, come on. Here's something. We just heard that. Just stuff. My Lord knows what to give me, what not. Sets me off. We had an experience of a, of, of a friend who had a horrible death. Garbage truck fell out. Completely horrible death. They were crushed, and the, and, the, and the picture was terrible. The brother was next to him, and his parts of his body fell on head. Just horrific. Close friends of her parents and us, in fact. Anyway. And I hear this, and I heard this, and I'll tell you what's happening. Once you start to lean into the things we're going after, things that you accepted start to... Because they said this young man is no longer here. He's with the Lord. And I heard, I've said that. Right? And here the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to understand me based on how you used to understand me anymore. Because in that statement lies the belief that somehow when we're not dead, we're away from Him. See, our semantics are really important. Now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I have no issue with that. The truth of the matter is that death cannot alter your connection to the Father. It no longer has... We're going to even go further with this. But it's not like, oh, he died, so he's with Jesus playing hockey in heaven. Some of you like hockey in heaven. I'm sorry about that. And we got this romantic illusion that he's in another realm living as if he was living here. All we know, we know very little about the afterlife. We make up most of it. 
Paul doesn't talk about it a lot. He says to be absent from the bodies of you. That's good enough for me. If you've been here, you know there are no streets of gold and all that stuff. I know I'm going to really offend all you. Because the streets of gold is not a description of heaven. It is a description of the church in full maturity. Because John says, show me the bride. And, and the angel shows him the bride in the form of the city. And the city is the fullness of the ecclesia in the earth releasing life. The glory of which is inside the city, like Jesus said, is inside you. There's no need for sun. Come on now. The illustration is obvious. We make it a city that's in the atmosphere that's going to descend on Jerusalem and crash into this earth. And some of that stuff don't even make sense. That's where the streets of gold are. And gold has no value in quote-unquote heaven because if there is no desire for things, what does gold mean other than gold is the only metal we know of or of, of a group of metals that do not corrode. It speaks of the incorruptibility of the church, that there will be a church that will not subject to the corruption of death. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and I will build it and the gates, not of hell, but the gates of Hades or the realm of death cannot contend with it. Come on. And why are we accepting death as as a friend? All right. All right. If you got to leave, leave. I'm going to keep you because there's so much I need to go through with you. Is that okay? Are you guys all right? I know some of you are like, I think I've fallen asleep. I think we need to lower the AC. This is darkness. This is life. Jesus says, greater works shall you do. I think the greater works, and I've believed this for a while, but I've never had the structure as I do now or the understanding, is to, here's the gospel, is to tell somebody, share with somebody, that Jesus made possible to move out of this realm of living into this realm of living. In that, you get healing. See, I can administer healing and pray for healing. But why are we praying for healing when their consciousness never changes? Here's what happens when you pray for healing when consciousness doesn't change. You may raise them from the dead, but they're going to die again. It's temporary. So he goes on. Let's just, are you again? Okay, never mind. I'm not even going to ask anymore. But thorns and thistles that shall bring forth you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. You realize this is not the heart of God. This is the consequence of Adam. Does that make sense? Now listen. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taking, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. What is he talking about? Death. Death was introduced here. Not in Genesis chapter 1. If death is a function of Adam's consciousness transfer. If, I should have did this the other way, but it is what it is. If here, Adam had no concept of death. He's not going from dust to dust. And he's not going to the ground from which he was made. That is a function because Adam here is disabled. Are you seeing this? If Jesus took care of this, in Galatians 3, it says that anyone who dies on a tree is cursed. And therefore, He took the curse with Him. What was part of the curse? Not spiritual death. He's not taught, we spiritualize this stuff. He's saying... He's He's physically saying, you will be buried in the ground, and in that 
burial, you'll turn to the same elements from which you were created. It's a function because Adam was disabled. If Adam could move out of that disability, he's no longer subject to that inevitability. So Jesus is talking to Mary. You know the whole Lazarus thing? Go to John 10. Go to John 10. If you're not, just, just I'll be there in a moment. I'll read it for you. Lazarus. Is it John 10? I think it's John 10. John 11. Thank you. So he's talking. He says, but even you know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Verse 22. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Look what Jesus says in verse 25. I am the resurrection. Now, in our theology, we put, out, we put that stuff out in the future, right? He hasn't even died on the cross. He is not raised from the dead. What is he operating in? Faith. Because faith suspends time and space. Now, this is why when, when the Pharisee says, you're not greater than our father Abraham. Remember that conversation? What does Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. What is Jesus? See, Jesus is talking in a conversation that is not imprisoned in time. And they can't understand it because they are in time. You know, death is defined only, only within the context of time. By faith, Enoch did not die. Hebrews chapter 11. By, oh, come on. By faith, he did not die. If Enoch could go and be with God in that state of consciousness under a covenant that is far less than the one we have now, what is keeping us from... Oh, come on! Before Abraham was, he says, I, what is he talking? Say, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. But here he clarifies it. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Specifically talking of Lazarus, because Lazarus died. But then he goes on and he makes this other amazing statement. And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this? Oh, he's talking about spiritual death. No, he's not. The context is the fact that Lazarus... You have to understand pretext, post-text, context. Context, Lazarus is dead. He's in a tomb. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I will suspend time. He will come out of that tomb. But I'm here to tell you another truth. That though he died, he will, he will be raised. But if you can believe in me, you who are alive can be in a place where you will come on. You will never die. Why? Because you are now under the government or the law of life in Christ Jesus. No longer under the law of sin and death. Ah. See, we believe until we get into this because everyone dies. You're looking at life through this. Right? Let me tell you this. Everyone dies. Are you ready for this? Is a statement of experience. Right? Experience says, to my knowledge, everyone died. That's 
my experience based on a consciousness that is sensory and governed by sin. I told you before, as a man thinks in his heart, he has a new experience. When you put your faith in Christ, the experience that is defined by space and time is suspended for an experience that is defined by faith. So Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. That's his experience. When God gives a name to Moses, he says, I am. Come on now. I am that I am that I always was. I am. In other words, I am above time and I am above space. And if you are in me and you have the mind of the Spirit and the mind of Christ and God is in you and you are in... Come on now. As God sent me, Jesus, I send you. And when He appears, we will know that we are in the earth as He is in heaven. Now, it says, not when you die, that I am as He is. Has, how is He? We're going to blow stuff out of the... See, we think the resurrection is an event. The blowing of the trumpet. The twinkling of an eye. is. Oh, I'm waiting for that to happen. That happens when there is a critical mass of consciousness in the earth. That we are now one with the Father. That is the trumpet. We'll get into this. That is the trumpet that would be blown. It's an announcement. The trumpet isn't it? So you're not going to hear the sound of a horn in the heavens. The trumpet literally is a royal decree. It's an announcement. The announcement is me and the Father, we're one. That is the trumpet. And it's the seventh one, the one of completion. Come on. We're waiting for something that has already happened. And faith suspends time to say, Come, I am the resurrection before I'm resurrected. We're here in rest. Every system that has been defined in the earth has been defined around the notion of death. Our economy, insurances, retirement, David. When we began this journey... The first thing, I didn't understand then, I do now. The first thing God put in my heart, He says, I want you to take retirement out of your vocabulary. I thought I was just going to work for God forever. And it's not working for God forever. It is dealing with a mindset that is, that is, that is so grained, ingrained in darkness. Everything in life. Your mortgage. Oh, every, every system man has devised, he's devised it on the principle of death. The very word mortgage is from muerte, meaning death. The root word is, is a death process. Right? So all, all those, all, come on, everything. And God is saying, this is why He says in Matthew 6, I, God, my Father knows you have need of these things. But if you rely on the systems of the earth that are defined under the principle of death, they will run out. Your money will run out if you do not. <laughs> if you're not dying, your money's going to run out. If you think your 401k is designed for you, I know this is absurd for some of us who are thinking about this, but who cares? You're, you're, you're just going to, if you're saving under an old system, it will, it will be exhausted as you understand the law of life operating in you. So he says, don't worry about those things. He didn't say, don't, you don't depend on it. He says, don't worry about them. If you seek my awareness of oneness, all those things to keep you sustained in life, my Father who knows you need of these things, 
He gives them to you. You don't need a retirement fund. If you have one, that's fine. It's just going to run out before your days. It should. Get retirement out of your vocabulary. This has a language. This has a language. The language here is the language of the Spirit. Can I, just, can I just share some scriptures? Oh my goodness. If the curse included death, I think that's clear, right? In other words, death is not outside the curse. This is important. Because I'm going to tell you, you do not have to die. I know how absurd that sounds, because we're all aging. I'm wearing glasses. You see, the Bible says to exercise these things. The word, uh, I, 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 here's where the Holy Spirit comes in. I take this reality. I can't rationalize this. I can't embrace this in, in, in the, my cognitive way. I can't understand this. It's foolishness to the mind. But to the Spirit that brings life. This is all Romans chapter 5 and chapter 8. To the Spirit that brings life. Thinking carnally. Romans 8. Thinking carnally is what? Enmity or being against. Thinking carnally is this. But thinking in the Spirit is life. It says it. We think thinking carnally is doing sin. So if I can just stop sin. See, here's why the sin consciousness is so, so evil. It's because I can stop certain sins and I think I'm okay. But I'm still living within a consciousness that is based on the, soul, on, on the sensory realm. Grace is here. You have been saved by not of any work you can contribute. You see why that's important? It's not just so that we have a new theology to fight everybody who doesn't have a theology. It is the essence of Paul's revelation. Paul gets this. Paul gets this. Paul doesn't talk about the things we talk about. He's not talking about whether you go to heaven or hell. He's not talking about any of these things. He's talking about whether you understand Christ is in you, the hope of glory. He's talking about it's not I who live, but it is He who lives in me. This is Paul. Oh my goodness. Actually, just, just go to Romans 12. Let me just read this and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause. Romans 12. Guys, please go and read. Are we doing good on this? On the, yeah, yeah. Jim, get ready with that. Could you get the guys ready? Here's Romans 12. Is this too much stuff? All right, I just need to see it. No, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. That sounds arrogant. I'm just sometimes I know I'm like a, uh, a fire hose. Yes. That's recording, right? Yeah, we're recording. Yeah, no, no, it should, it should be recording. Do you get the CD? Okay, the CD's limited to like 60 minutes. And I, I have a tendency to go more than that. We have CDs and we have the one that's on. The online should have the whole thing. What's that? We don't have CDs? Okay. So you guys know, you guys know more than I do. Is it still recording? Okay, it's still recording. 
It's still recording. And if, if I have to re-preach this, I'll do it. I, I don't know what if I'll say this. Here, here, guys, listen, listen. Guys, as we're distributing the communion elements, I want us to do something here that's pretty cool. But I want to, I want to come back to Romans 12. I want you to get, if you have your Bibles, go to Romans 12. And actually, I'm going to go back up to Romans 11, verse 33. Because Romans 12, the chapter division, is, it shouldn't be there. He says, oh, the depth. Are you there? You guys, I want you to see this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Look what he says in verse 34. Who has known the mind of God? Or who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counsel? Was first given him and it shall repay repaid him. For of him and through him and to him are all things. What? Okay. Last week, off this tree, we spent a little bit of time on pluralism, right? Yeah. Remember that? that was How everything became dualistic? Yeah. Most of theology today paints a picture of God and Satan in this fight like a Wild West movie. That God is fighting the devil. And the devil is fighting God. That's dualism. That's from this tree. That's not reality. I should get questions on that one. God is not fighting with anyone. And, and he, the entity of the devil, operates within the realm of your thoughts. Remember what he said to Peter. Satan, get behind me, for your thoughts are the thoughts of men. Satan is actually, in this context, a reference to Peter thinking in a sensory consciousness when he just was thinking in a God consciousness. He said, Jesus said, Peter, when he asked him, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. He says, no one has revealed that to you except whom? My Father, which is what? Ah, Jesus is saying, I only hear what he hears. Peter just experienced God consciousness. And I will build my ecclesia on that. And I will have a people who think like that. And the gates of hell will, or the gates of death will prevail against that. Come on! And Peter's like, ah, I got it! And immediately say, well, Jesus, you're not going to die. And, 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 and Jesus says, Peter, you had it and you lost it. And he says, Satan, get behind me. And he's talking not to an entity. He's talking to whom? Peter! Because he says, Peter, you're thinking like a mere man. In Corinthians, Paul calls the church, you're operating like mere men. You're not mere men anymore. I got another wave of energy here. Come on, we can go for another two hours. You're not mere men. You are not mere women. The, the gates of uh, death has no power. Except what we give it. When you operate in the suspension of time and space by faith, disease does not exist there. By the way, the word disease is not an accident. It literally means this is without. Ease is rest. Disease is to be in a sensory consciousness. In that sensory consciousness, you are in stress. Because you think you're designed for a world that you cannot function. You are that salesperson. 
In that place of stress and anxiety, your body, which was never formed to function in that structure, now develops weird stuff like diabetes, like cancer, like all this crazy stuff that we just accept as a part and a normal part of life. It is not normal. And it ought not to be acceptable. Because when we accept it, we are actually empowering it because as a man believes in his heart, so is his experience. There's a people that's going to get this. I believe this house is filled with them. I believe we moved on from the foolishness into the wisdom of the Spirit. And you need to take this stuff and you need to go home and dwell on it. You need to meditate on it. You need to search out these Scriptures and look them up and see for yourself. And, and, and he goes on in verse 12, in, verse, um, in chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, he is, Paul is pleading, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That sounds like work. That sounds like work, and it doesn't mean what it says. Unfortunately, you've got to go into the original text. I don't know any other way to say it. But the word that says living sacrifice doesn't even exist. It literally is a word. That, the, the word is a zoe. It, it literally means to, to present underneath. So what he is saying is, I beseech you that you present your mortality underneath life. Living there is zoe. That you come under life. It seems living sacrifices, I'm going to go on the missions field. It's not what it's talking about. He is literally saying, I beseech you that you put yourself under the authority of this tree. That, that you come under life. That's what it's saying here. And then it leads into the how in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Why? By the renewing of your consciousness. Come on. How do you do that? You can't. It is by the Spirit. It is only by the Spirit. This is why Jesus says there's so much I want to tell you, but if I tell you now before the Spirit, I'm just going to frustrate you. But when the Spirit comes, you're going to be blown out of your consciousness. This is good. This is why there's, this is why this is good news. I'm going to share something. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. Somebody throws something when I start apologizing. Like I said, if you've got to leave, leave. I've always said this. I don't even know why I'm taking it up. It's nothing to write. I always had a problem with this. We always presented the gospel. Almost always. In the context of somebody who has a problem that Jesus can fix. Right? Either you're hurting. He can make you well. You've got no peace. He gives you peace. You're sick. He heals you. You've got no money. He deals with Right? And I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is that we've reduced it. We've reduced the gospel to a context of where problems lie. And, and I, we've covered this, Ray, in the men's meeting, and I've said this years ago. What if, it's plausible, I don't know if somebody, Don, I don't know if this person exists, but it's plausible that you can live maybe even a segment of your life where everything is working. You've got all the money you, you'll need, you've got all the, you, you know, your family is perfect, and your health is great, everything is is kicking in on all cylinders, as we would say, right? In that place, we do not reach those people with the nature of how we present the gospel. We need pain to present the gospel. That's, James, that's always bothered me. And I'm not suggesting, don't get me wrong. 
Jesus deals with the pain. But when Paul is talking to Festus and Felix and all those guys, they're not in pain. They got everything they want. And, 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 and they say, listen, you almost make us a convert. And Paul says, save from my chains. I wish you were me. And in that was saying, listen, there's a message of the gospel that supersedes the natural issues of life. This is the message because that guy or that gal who has everything is still under this tree. And the message of goodness is this tree has been dealt with. Jesus died on it. The curse has been removed. Everything in the curse has been removed. You are no longer in this place where you are in the Father. And I'm in the Father. The consciousness of that will begin to live a different paradigm. Come on. Death no longer. Adam was disabled. What was he disabled from? Steward and creation. Right? What does it say in Romans 8? That creation is waiting. Not for God. But for the sons, for the revelation or the presentation or the emergence of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for the people of this earth to get on board with what Christ accomplished so that it can be stewarded like it was designed to be stewarded. Creation is waiting. God is waiting. And we should say, wait no more. Holy Spirit, quicken us. Quicken our mortality. I'm not waiting to die to be with Him. I'm with Him now. I'm not waiting to die to live. I'm going to live now. I'm not waiting for pain to hear the gospel. I'm going to hear it now. Come on now. In that consciousness, we get into the, into the gifts of the Spirit. We'll, we'll get into all this stuff. In that consciousness, Everything that I empowered here, everything, including death itself, including sickness, including depression, despair. By the way, depression is larger. I know there's a chemical definition, but depression is rampant. It's rampant in the church, largely because it's a displaced mindset. It is trying to live with the mind of Christ, with the mind and the world of Adam. And it will create torment in the realm of your thoughts to the point where you invite death to actually have full authority and you would commit suicide. We'll go into this. This is all going to be uncovered. That has no power anymore. That's good news. Paul knew it. Do you realize Paul gave up his life? Peter gave up his life. Jesus gave up his life. They didn't die natural death. Here's natural deaths. You hear that on the news, so he just died a natural death. You hear hurricanes referred to as accidents. The more our language is under the authority of death, the more death will reign because we empower it. As a man thinks, he didn't say as Christians think, by the way. That's not reserved for those who are in Christ. He said generally, as man thinks, he is. And the more we call hurricanes acts of God, the more we empower death. The more we accept death as the inevitability of my life, I empower it. It's my reality and it's my experience. Jesus rewrote my experience. You got your... Okay. Now look at this. And then we're going to have communion now. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
And, and, and I'm really going to be done. All right. Listen, listen, listen. I'll read this. Verse, verse 23, chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he had given thanks. He broke and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. With that, there was a transfer. Our body for his. That's why it wasn't broken. I want you to understand, this covenant is a transfer. This is not just a, a, a memorial service. He said, when you take this, you take this body, and now you have this body. As he is, so are we in this world. Are you seeing that? This is powerful. Jesus says, your body was disabled by Adam. I have re-enabled creation. It's in me. I became Adam. I went down to death itself as Adam. And the Christ in me, the anointing in me, destroyed death. And I came back with the keys of what? I came back with the keys of death. And in other words, I came back and the authority that it once had, it no longer has. I did that in Adam. He, oh dear God, he did that as, this is why Jesus is awesome. He became sin. He wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't a sinner. He became, he was carnated as sin. Destroyed death as Adam. Came up by the quickening of the Spirit, the Christ in Him, and became the firstborn. Many brethren. He says, Take, this is my body. It's a transfer. Um, don't take it yet. Some of you got to take it out of your mouth. Don't take it yet. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for us. Often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When does he come? When he appears, we will know who we are as he is. When he appears is not an event in time and space, is an emergence of a consciousness within the heart of man. He is... He will appear when you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal who He is to find out who you are. We're waiting for, for Israel or for the Antichrist or for somebody on CNN and Fox News to actually initiate and trigger events. He says, no, when it appears in you, you will know. How do you know that? Because He says, when I look in the mirror, I find out who I really am. That mirror isn't put there by the Antichrist. So He's saying this. He said, you take this and you do this as a pattern. When you do this, it brings you closer and closer to an understanding of a consciousness. And he goes on and he says this, but let a man examine himself and, and, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And we thought that, that examining ourselves was looking at our sin. Because I remember clearly that if I did something that was sinful that week, I wasn't allowed to take the bread. And, and so everybody knew who was bad that week. 
And there was almost a sense of holiness that, you know, I can't take it. And in that modesty was pride, right? And some of you know what I'm talking about. We don't do it as much. But we thought examining was examining our behavior. doesn't say that. just said examine the body. Look, 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 look. But let each man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drink of an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning what? The Lord's body. Now, the earliest manuscript omits the word Lord. You see it in there. It simply says, you have not examined your body. You think you're still under this tree. Present your body under, remember Romans 12? It's the same book. He says, it is your duty or your logical reasoning is more accurate to present your body under life. In that when you examine how you think in that context, take this to know that Jesus was that. Are you seeing this? When you do it outside of that context, you bring judgment. God's not saying, I judge you. He says, you bring judgment. What is judgment? Staying here. Staying here is judgment. Is it making sense? Yeah. Right? He says, no, you're in Christ, you're there. Why live on the left side? And look what he says. For this reason, many are what? Weak and sick among you and many. What have we interpreted that or what have we inserted there? The word sleep means dead. We've always put what word in front of dead? Come on, be honest. Premature. Right? No? I think I've said that. Where is the word premature? It's not there. It's not even in context. He said, when you take my body... And drink of my blood. You are remembering what happened. When you remember what happened. You actually come under a consciousness. You, you are now under the authority of life. We're no longer under the law. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore there is no condemnation. Right? But we are no longer under the law of what? Sin consciousness and a death consciousness. Is this, we're no longer under that. You've got to train your mind. You've got to practice this. But we are under what law? It's not an accident that the law of sin and death is duality. Sin and death. But the law of Christ is singular. This is the singularity of creation. It's Zoe. You are under its government. And if you are under its government... You ought not to be weak. You ought not to be sick. And you ought not to die. Isaiah 40. <laughs> I am beyond feeling sorry. Listen. But those of you who wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40 verse 31. I got it underlined. I got it marked. I got everything. Those of you who wait on the Lord literally means those of you who enter his rest. Right? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk 
And we quote that hoping that's going to happen one day in the by and by. But those who enter into what? All right, I've given you enough today. This stuff vibrates in me. This stuff, I literally have to walk away from it and come back to it. This morning, probably three or four times coming in and out of my office. I'm like, I got I to gotta let this digest. Strive to enter into his rest. The striving is not physical action. It is the renewing of your mind. So I have the mind of Christ. Mind of the Spirit. New Age has taken us outside of Christ. And to be quite honest with you, they went pretty far. But they'll never go to life. They will push the borders of this because they got the consciousness notion right. They got the source of the consciousness wrong. So they introduce even more darkness. But I will give them this credit. We can learn just the way we learn from mammon. We can learn some things because they captured meditation. They captured the word consciousness. I say these words, people start to... It's all in the scriptures. It says, Joshua, ruminate, meditate on the word. It's the consciousness. These are, these are words that God invented that were hijacked. And we stay away from them. And in staying away from them, we, we empower the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, Father, I just thank you. I can keep, I'm not going to keep going. Just stand with me for one moment. We're going to receive the body. I'm going to drink this juice as the blood of a new covenant. I want you to close your eyes. And in your hand is a piece of wafer, a cracker. But what it represents is the fullness of the body of Christ that you are trans- that you uh, that he transferred with you 2000 years ago by faith. By faith I want you to receive this. And what I mean by that, I want you to come into a consciousness where time and space is suspended. Everything he accomplished in his death, everything he accomplished in his resurrection is yours now. Your prayer should not be, God, heal me. As much Holy Spirit, quicken my understanding to the finished work. And let me understand what has happened. In Jesus' name, receive the body. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. When he spoke of the body, he's literally talking about the essence of the tree of life. The physicality of the tree of life. The blood speaks of the power of the tree of life. Because Leviticus says that life is in the blood. Not only does it change you physically from a consciousness of sin to a consciousness of life. He enables you by actually providing the source of that life to be internal to you. And it is the Holy Spirit to receive this morning. Thank you. You can pass those to the aisles. And those who are at the end of the aisles, you just put them on the floor. We'll come pick them up later. I want to pray for you. Because what's going to happen this week... Likely, 
There's a lot of noise. A lot of noise. It happens to us all the time. I admonish, uh, in a good way, I, 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 not admonish is not the right word, I acknowledge the men who come to the men's group. We've been doing this since 2004. A bunch of crazy men come out at 6 o'clock in the morning, have to get up at 5 to meet at IHOP, and you have a group of men. Timothy, you've been there. You have a group of men that meet. The tendency to talk about the issues of life is strong. Right? My job, my wife, my kids. You know, We have never, ever once had a conversation about any of those things. Not to say they're not important or not to say they don't exist. But you've got men that come out because they want to know more about life. This week, it says the enemy comes in immediately to steal. If he's going to steal anything, this is number one. I still understand for many of us, it's so hard to cross the bridge where we understand the power of death has been completely destroyed. It has been. It has been. My prayer for you is to quicken the Spirit of God to quicken. Let's just pray. Father, I ask you to quicken every person under the sound of my voice, whether they're here or hearing this audio recording, whether they're in their living rooms or cars or wherever they are. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to quicken them. Protect this seed that is deposited within them, deeply rooted, God, unable to be distorted or to be perverted or to be uprooted and aborted by the issues of life. So, Father, I thank you that you protect this, even as Jesus prayed that he said and he thanked you for keeping those who were given to him. Father, I ask you to keep all of these, to take this word and cause it to stir in their spirit. Father, I ask you for the excitement of the goodness of the gospel to overcome all the emotions that are attached to the issues of life. And Father, I declare to them and over them what Paul declared in the book of Romans, that they are to reign and rule in life. They are to rule, Father, not just simply because of the material world lining up, but, Father, that their awareness of the Father, their awareness of you, and them being at one with that, God would cause all these things, Father, to come under the obedience of the law of life. All these shall be added to them. In that, I bless them in their going out and in their coming in until we meet again, Father. Thank you for this time and thank you for your word and thank you for this time and space and this opportunity to hear what I believe is your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. One last word. Jesus said this, when you know the truth, it is that truth that will set you free. This is what's happening. Guys, be blessed.